From the University Council for Educational Administration, I'm John Nash. This is Cafe UCEA. What is the role of faculty and programs in addressing anti-blackness in leadership preparation? Dr. Terry Watson from the City College of New York's School of Education convenes a panel to address this question. Stay tuned. So Terry, it's great to see you. I was thinking about a conversation I had last month with Monica Bern-Jimenez, the executive director in UCEA, and she and I were talking about Sean Harper's presidential address at the um, at AERA, and I think it was entitled uh, "We Share Responsibility." And, and Monica was talking about how the talk really was trying to inspire researchers and educators to think about the individual and collective responsibility for complex problems that we have out there, especially social problems, educational problems, social justice. And this conversation we were having was right on the cusp of the one-year anniversary of the murder of George Floyd. And so we thought, how might we have conversations across UCEA that could help us carry this forward? And you came in the conversation. We started talking with you, and you had this great idea to bring together some folks to have launch, relaunch our cafes with the question, thinking about anti-black racism and where leaders might, leader preparation might consider this. Talk to us a little bit about that. Right. So the, I think because the death of George Floyd really in many ways sparked this global movement, like we've always known that black lives matter, but seeing the lack of it, the the anti-blackness and the, and the execution of George Floyd and, and watching it, you know, the, the visceral reaction we had to that. Um, for me as a person, as a, as a black woman, as an educator, as an educational leader, it made me, you know, think about my own practices and things that happen in, in school buildings and classrooms that we see every day that is anti-black and inherently bad, not just for black children, but for all children. And I thought about, you know, like what does it mean to me in, in my life? And hence the question that I had with some colleagues um, kind of came up. And the question, to be clear, was what is the role of faculty and programs in addressing anti-blackness and leadership preparation? Meaning, you know, as a as a black person and the and the folks I thought about to have this conversation with are all black scholars, but their work really highlights. Um, black people and black life and black excellence. So I wondered, what is it that we, when I say we, I thought not just we as the academy, but we specifically as black people, you know, what, what is our role? And, and so often I know that, you know, race work is a heavy lift. You know, race is a, is a four letter word, it seems now, you know, they, they, they want to ban CRT and many people don't even understand the, the meaningfulness behind this, um, this paradigm, which helps us unpack mm-hmm. anti-Blackness, but it's not just anti-Blackness, it's anti-humanity. And, right. and so for me, the death of George Floyd 
was not just the loss of a life, but it was the lack of regard for for this black person. Because we know that, you know, unfortunately, if that was a was anyone, if, if that if that was a if George Floyd was a white dog, literally a dog, and I'm not comparing him to a dog, but in another life, right? I know that those folks who stood by watching, it, it would have never happened. And it's something powerful and bearing witness because we have to ask ourselves, what is our role in that? Even for those who watched it, you know, days later or hours later or even minutes later, we still just witness something barbaric that's not just anti-Black. Again, it's anti-humanity. And then we have to ask ourselves, what are we going to do about it? And so right. that's the question that, you know, was, I was left with. And that's what led to the conversation that, that you're about to listen into. And it's a very powerful question because we, as scholars and as, uh, as leaders of leader preparation, we we get in the mix of our work, and I think we sometimes forget that there's a portion of this in which we may actually have some responsibility, that we could be thinking through how leader preparation could be different uh, for all of the students that we teach and those students that they teach. Mm -hmm. Agreed. And I'm hoping that this conversation, um, you know, makes people pause and wonder and ask themselves, you know, what is their role in this? Because our, our silence in many ways is our consent. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and we, we can't sit idly by there. There, there is no, side of you know neutrality neutrality is the, the side of the oppressor yeah so as we walk into the conversation and i had a chance to listen to it in advance and it's it's heartfelt and honest and also four friends really talking uh, about this introduce us to who you're gonna be chatting with sure so you have uh dr shannon wait and um dr wade is incoming faculty at Howard University. And then we have uh, Kofi Lamote, my dear friend and also my mentor. And he is a distinguished professor and endowed chair, I believe, at Western Carolina University. And of course, we have the great Rich Milner, another um, mentor and friend and dear colleague. And he's also an endowed chair, I believe, at um, Vanderbilt University. And again, when having this conversation, I just thought about people who I, I know and, and know well enough that we can talk honestly about, you know, anti-blackness and, and our role as um, not just black folks, but because we're all in educational leadership preparation programs. You know, mm -hmm. What does that mean for us? Yeah. Well, uh, thanks so much. And let's uh, let's not keep folks waiting. We'll let people jump into this and hear this conversation. So yeah, thank you so much, Dr. Terry Watson. Thank you for having me. Um, I appreciate you and Monica um, giving me this opportunity to, you know, just kind of think out loud with, with some good friends about, you know, the work that we do. So um, I hope you enjoyed and thanks in advance for listening. Good afternoon, Drs. Waite, Dr. Lomote, and Dr. Milner. I want to thank you once again for joining me for the restart 
of the CAFE series. That's part of the, the UCEA organization of the CAFE series in short is simply um, a bunch of informal conversations where scholars are invited to talk about their work. And the central question that I kind of uh, crafted with you in mind in particular um, is as follows. What is the role of faculty and programs in addressing anti-Blackness and leadership preparation? I know that Drs. Lamote and Rich and Milner, you have a new and exciting book out. I know that Dr. Wade is a up and coming scholar and we are reading your book. We're excited about it. And we really want to talk about how can we, um, as quote unquote, the academy, as, as Black folks, as leaders, as parents, as, as concerned citizens, how can we address anti-Blackness in the work that we do? Let me first uh, thank you for this invitation to be here with you today um, and for, for posing this, I think, critically important question. Um, I would say that there are three areas that we need to focus on um, in terms of preparation for school leaders. The first is uh, diversity, the second is skills, and the third is knowledge. And I'll expand on those uh, briefly. When I talk about having a diverse faculty, I'm not just talking about racial diversity, which of course is a challenge in many institutions that has yet to be addressed. But I'm also talking about diversity in terms of content of the curriculum, um, the experiences of different groups of people, including people of African descent, need to be included in a diverse curriculum. The second area I talk about is skill. And here I'm talking about pedagogy, the ability to teach effectively, uh, to understand the way in which students learn regardless of their level. And then the third is, is knowledge. Um, and here I'm talking about cultural competence, knowledge about the learner. And the second thing I'm talking about is, is, is knowledge about the content of curriculum. And this, this ties in very closely with much of the work that uh, Rich Milner uh, deals with where he speaks in terms of the importance of, on the K-12 level, the importance of pedagogy, culture, and content, understanding the importance of all three of those things. And, and I would argue my training is in K-12, but of course I've done a lot of work in higher education. And um, I think there's, there's, a, there's a consistency there in terms of the importance of each of these components when we're dealing with students, even when we're talking about preparation programs for people in uh, educational leadership. Great, thank you. Dr. Milner. What say you? How yeah. can we address anti-Blackness in the work that we do, particularly in leadership programs and preparation programs around the country? Yeah, well, uh, uh, like uh, Kofi, I would start by just thanking you again for the invitation. I'm very honored to be with you uh, and Shannon, and of course, my mentor uh, and, and dear friend, uh, Kofi Lamote. I, you know, I think, you know, it's so important. I think when we, when we think about faculty, we often, are, uh, you know, we move to the abstract so quickly, right? We, we find ourselves in, in spaces where uh, 
you know, we, we, we are heavily drawn to theory or we, we want to, to nuance and all, and all that's really, really important. Right. Uh, but I, I think when we talk about anti-blackness, you know, for our liberal minded folk, I'm going to say brothers and sisters in this work, uh, whether they're, you know, black, brown, white, yellow, or otherwise, I think we sometimes miss this notion that the individual work that is necessary to do what Kofi's talking about really requires like this deep self journey, this self work. And so sometimes the folks who are uh, the most quote unquote liberal, the people who are quote unquote the wokest can actually be the most harmful in the, in the broad agenda towards, uh, towards transformation, right? Uh, and so understanding how individuals, you know, we, we typically talk about racism and we talk about uh, anti-blackness. We talk about the systems and the structures that are in place. And that is so true and so important, right? But understanding how individuals make systems, right? These systems are manifest through the bodies and the histories of, 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 of individuals and folks. And so, you know, to get to your, your point here, you know, this idea that so many of our white colleagues sit in meetings, they sit in curriculum meetings, they uh, are administrators, they, are, they have decision-making power, and they may not be doing all they can do to name, disrupt, uh, and advance agendas that are that are pro. If you're if you're if you're anti, what you know, really understanding what you're pro, right? and so and, and part of that pro work, I think, is really the self journey around understanding the ways in which individuals are complicit, albeit unknowingly, in the maintenance of these system systems that we uh, operate uh, in and through. So I'll 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 stop there. But I I, I really do think that. Part of the work of getting to anti-work is really understanding what you're pro, and uh, and really for for the the wokest among us, you know, especially to our colleagues who continue to allow these systems to perpetuate themselves, you know, I say uh, that you know that you're not being pro-black, you're not being pro. Uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, equity, if you are not speaking out against and if you're not using the power that you have as right. an individual to uh, to change systems. Yeah, I think that's so important, Rich. I know so often we always blame the system, not understanding that the system is made up of parts and we are part and parcel to the system. So what are, like you said, what are we doing, you know, against? Like if you're anti-Black, okay, that's cool. Like we understand that, you know, but what do, you, what do you believe in? And how do you espouse that? And more importantly, what does it look like in play? Because people will say automatically, you know, oh, I'm not racist. Okay, cool, so if you're not racist, then what are you? Because we're raised people and we understand how society and these systems are, are functioned and, and why they are structured the way they are. Um, with that said, I wanna bounce it over to Dr. Waite. Dr. Waite, welcome and thank you for joining us. 
Thank you. So um, I want to acknowledge that something's going on with my internet. So every now and then, like y'all freeze and I'm uh, presuming it's me because when I come back in, y'all are talking. So with that said, <laughs> please forgive any delays. And I um, um, I just want to also thank you because honestly, I don't know if you caught me, but I'm sitting here writing. That's why you see a pen in my hand because mm-hmm. like to, that, to have the ability to be in this space and be in community with two, with these three brilliant scholars is amazing to an up and coming scholar like myself. Um, I, you know, appreciate your work. I um, have cited y'all work um and i recognize that as i you know advance in what we in this system of academe um i stay i am because of the three of you sitting in this room and so many other people and so thank you all um i don't know that i have too much more because dr milner and dr lamote done said everything mm-hmm. honestly where i enter into the conversation as a practitioner because i come from k through 12 um as many as i know you do dr watson and many others in the academy do my you know I talk with my students first and foremost about understanding who they are because I tell them you lead who you are. Not these theories that are espoused to you, not what you read about, not singing, not, you know, um, Posner. You lead who you are, right? And so if between the hours of eight to four, you are an administrator and the hours of 401 to 759, you are a bigot and a racist. That's who you are. And even if you try to perform like you are, you embrace, you love everybody, you are colorblind, you don't see race. It doesn't matter if you're black, white, or green. the racism will transcend (laughs) into your leadership and it'll show up in the decisions that you make. It'll show up in the policies that you have. It will show up in your school and the culture. And so, so often I think, um, I happen to think of ed leadership as the last stop. So part of the reason why I teach, um, and, um, I teach the way I do and as aggressively as I do in, um, trying to really get my students to understand that they need to know who they are in order to know how to lead, regardless of whatever theory you were taught, um, is because I understand that anyone can have racist ideology, right? Particularly if you grew up in the U.S., any of its colonies in K through 12, and you didn't have a counter to that, you can look like me. Right. And to Dr. Milner's point, you can look like me, espouse that you're pro-Black and continue to sustain, maintain and weaponize white supremacist policies that actually hurt children and families who are looking to be served. So um, for me, the work that we do in ed leadership is a moral imperative. And right now in the country, we are at its highest heights. It's not even, you know, an option. It's it's a mandate. Right. So I have a question, and I'm thinking about this because obviously we're all Black folk. Um, and, and Rich, you spoke about this. The, the liberal folks, woke folks, conscious folks, Black folks who espouse to be doing the work, but they still use the master's tools. 
what can we, what can and should we be doing differently to not replicate and support the very systems that we are a part of? Because we're all obviously faculty members at institutions of higher learning and even our very institutions are deeply steeped in racism and anti-black practices. So how do we sure ourselves so that we are not you know, doing what they do? What can we do differently? And I want to start back to you, Kofi. Like, what, what, what can we do better or differently? We have to start on the personal level um, by doing studying. Because we can't talk about what other people are doing wrong if we don't have an understanding of what's best for our people. So it's a study, it's to study and to understand our people, to understand the relationship between our people and other people in the world. And and I can I can say more about that, but the other piece of this, and Rich, I think, began to touch on this. The other piece of this is self-reflection. Asking um, questions like, for example, am I prepared for the fallout from my efforts or our efforts to disrupt the system? Because that's what we're talking about. We're talking about disrupting a system that's not working for our people. It's not working for a lot of people, but the, the present context is our people. We need to self-reflect and ask about our own positionality and what its significance is. Our own identities and what their, what, what their significance is. How do I feel about the content that I'm being asked to teach? Mm. How do I feel about the students? Do I love the students? Um, do I want to commit the time to do what's necessary to bring about substantive change? These are, these are questions that, that we all have to ask as educators, um, particularly when we're talking again about disrupting a system. Because if we're not talking about disrupt, disrupting a system, then as somebody already suggested, we're talking about contributing to the status quo. And we see that happening on a daily basis. And it doesn't matter whether we're at a predominantly white institution or an HBCU. The challenges exist in both environments. On our campuses, we have many of the same challenges simply because most people who are teaching at HBCUs have been trained by people who are teaching at predominantly white institutions. And if they've been trained by somebody who's, been, who's teaching at an HBCU, that person's been trained by somebody teaching at, at a predominantly white institution. So ultimately, you get back to predominantly white institutions. I'm not, I'm not critiquing our institutions uniquely, but there's, a, there's enough criticism to go around in terms of the fundamental changes that we need to, to make. And they need to be made on the personal level first, not by critiquing or analyzing what somebody else is doing, but by looking at our own selves in terms of our own understanding of our circumstances 
and our own understanding of how we feel personally about our responsibility to disrupt the educational system as it's currently constructed. Thank you. Richard, would you like to add to that? Uh, yeah, sure. I, I think the, uh, the sort of fundamental question you're getting at here really is around knowledge and how do we construct knowledge and how do we come to know uh, epistemologically. And I think, as Kofi uh, said, like when we think about the genesis of, of ideas and how we come to know what we know, I think we, we build, you know, I don't think it's building new tools for the sake of building new tools as much as it is like recognizing what tools you know, how tools can be useful to get us to a place where we know, uh, uh, we come to know in ways that we may not have come to know otherwise. And so that means, you know, uh, I think Felicia Mensa, who's at uh, Columbia, uh, one of the things I observed her do on Twitter was uh, she, she she pulled photos of all of her, uh, the people on her syllabus, on her syllabi. For defense, I don't know, and and that that to me, that was that was like you know it was one of those moments I was, I was like this is powerful right and uh, so I did the exact same thing right and and so the question is I know we can we sometimes get it wrong but like how are you reading who those people are like so are they are they read as 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 all men. Are they mad at red as all white men? Are they red at you know? Are you rep, are you are you reading black women? Are you reading black queer women? Are you are you reading uh, indigenous people from you know in, indigenous communities? Are you you know? And I think those questions are fundamental because even when we learn from and our knowledge base is constructed through sometimes white logic, right? White logic, white lies, as uh, as we've come to uh, come to sort of understand. Like this, this question around understanding that my worldview in this black body, right, allows me to bring a perspective that at least allows me to nuance, to disrupt, to interpret things in, in ways that you know, someone outside of this body just can't. So just fundamentally, when that, when you talk about building knowledge and leadership programs, like I think as Kofi said, like the, the first step is like, who are you, who is on your syllabus, right? And, you know, and why are they, you know, why have you selected those people? you know, on, on, uh, on the syllabus. Beverly Gordon put it this way. You know, she said, it is difficult to critique the world and work to change it when the world works for you. So all of these leadership theories, all of these, these practices that likely have some usefulness, right, uh, have to be critiqued. They have to be advanced, right, uh, because the world is not working for too many of our, of our communities and too, too many of, of, of of folks who look like us on this call. Okay. Dr. Waite, what do you think? And thank you, Dr. Milner. Um, again, ditto, ditto. Um, I think that one of the most powerful um, things that both doctors Lamonte and Milner have spoken about is really understanding and assessing whether or not you're built for this. Right. Um, if you say that you are actively anti-racist and I always put active in front of anti-racist because I think that's important. Someone can call themselves anti-racist. But what are you doing? 
right? Like to your point, I mean, not everybody has the benefit of a Dr. Terry Watson to make sure that 80 to 95%-ish of their syllabi are people of color, are women, are in the LGB or from the LGBTQ plus community, queer, um, black and brown indigenous, right? And Latinx folk. Um, I've had that benefit, right? Um, And I think that really being clear, crystal clear, Mm -hmm. that there will be consequences for your active Mm anti-racist and acknowledging anti-Blackness, right? Like I, you know, um, Dr. Watson, you know me well, and you know that um, when I was on the search circuit this year, um, it was based off of the article that we just did in that JSL special issue. And mine was on disrupting disconsciousness and confronting anti-Blackness in um, educational leadership preparation programs. That looks like something. I can tell you what it looks like. I can tell you the actual action steps that I took. You could read about it, right? So for some folk who are saying that they're anti-racist, what does that mean? And are you prepared Mm -hmm. for the fallout? Like I... You know, you know, Dr. Watson, I've had several Kumbaya sessions with y'all, like between you, Yoli, Mark, um, Judy, like, um, you know, y'all are the people that I call, like, I'm scared because I feel like I have to say this. And you always tell me that I'm supposed to say what it is I'm supposed to say. Like, if I'm not, if I am not, if I'm not speaking my truth on behalf of the people that I purport to represent, then who exactly am I representing, right? And I think that it's really important for folks who say that this is the work that they're about to actually be about it. And to be clear that this could cost you something. And are you prepared for that? Right. Thank you. I know um, Cornell West said, I'm sorry, Kofi? I was just going to add one thing that if, in fact, it costs you, then you're probably at a place where you don't want to be anyway. Mm. Well said. 25 or 30 years ago, uh, a lot of what scholars are saying now, you just could not say. And you could not do the kind of research that many people are doing now. Um, Nobody did anything on black principles before 1985. Um, I, I had a situation where I had a, I had a, a, a doctoral student at LSU about 30 years ago who wanted to do research on black children, black boys in particular in the third grade, because he was interested in finding out what it was that happened to black boys in the third grade. So he wanted to do some observations of some third graders. And a white colleague told him, you can't study black boys without yeah. studying them in comparison to white boys, because you can't, you can't, um, uh, attribute anything that you observe to the fact that they're black if you don't compare them to white boys. So I reminded my colleague that anthropologists for over 100 years have been going all over the world into small communities and studying groups and writing books about it and getting awards. And they weren't comparing them to anybody. Right. Because anthropology was not even a part of education at that time. And qualitative research was new within education. All we were doing was was studies of white men and making generalizations to white women and black people and brown people and yellow people. 
So again, you know, the, the, the tide has changed somewhat so that you can comfortably study your own people in most places. But if you go to, you know, again, getting back to this, 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 this situation in terms of being going, being going out to search for a position, if you are not comfortable, if you're not able to speak your own truth when you're interviewing, then you really don't want to be there. Right. And so much of this work is about knowing who you are, right? What you care about, what you value. Um, Cornell West said, you can't lead the people if you don't love the people. And in all of your work, I've noticed a deep love and commitment for black people. And you literally wear your heart on, the, on your sleeve. And, and Kofi and Rich in particular, I know that you have held endowed and distinguished professorships at several institutions. How have you managed to flourish in times where, you know, now we can say Black Lives Matter and not raise an eyebrow, but you've been doing this for a minute now. How have you managed to, to keep your agenda the same, to, to keep the love transparent and real, and yet do good work? Like it's all, it's, you are your work. Like I know what you're going to talk about and I look for that and respect that and it feeds me. So my question, I guess, is what feeds you? Because you're both in PWIs, you both have been successful, but how do you keep the love going? Yeah, I'll start there if that's okay. Um, you know, what I've come to understand, and I really learned this lesson from Gloria Lassen Billings, uh, and that is my work often aligns with my job, but sometimes it doesn't. And I think that's a hard place for people, especially earlier career scholars, to understand. In other words, they're asked, if I want to continue to get my paycheck like there are things I have to do, like go to a whole bunch of meetings that I don't necessarily think I should have to go to. Like, I mean, there, there are aspects of the work, of the aspects of the job that you have to do, right? But uh, I am very clear about what my work is, right? I'm very clear about my work is. And so, uh, you know, when I, when I decided to move to the University of Pittsburgh, for instance, people, no one thought I was gonna leave Vanderbilt to go to the University of Pittsburgh. And I said, watch me. All you're gonna see is exhaust when I when my car leaves this parking lot, right? So, so this, the, you know, it's this this idea that my work is far more important than the parameter, the 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 walls of a of a of an institution or a job. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and I have a choice, right? There are times when. Uh, I want to stay. I, I I will stick with the you know like the, the the nonsense of the job that I don't necessarily want to do. Uh, and then there are times where you know I might say this is not what I want to want to do anymore. And and and, and <clears throat> but being very clear about my work. And I think sometimes what happens is like I'm not going to be on the I love black people wagon this week. I love black people unapologetically all day, every day, all day, Eric. Like that's just, that's just, it just is what it is. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and people know I love black people when I'm picking up my kids, my children in the, in the, in the school line, they know I love black people in the, in the grocery store in the supermarket. <laughs> I, 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 you know, it's just who I am. That's my work. That's who I am. And that's what, uh, but then also understanding, like, I'm going to love black people in these institutions as well. But I also have to understand that 
I loving black people doesn't mean that the people that I work with, even sometimes the black people I work with, are gonna love black people the way I work with them, the way I love them. So, and that's a hard, so, so just being very clear that your work and your job will, there will be some overlap, mm -hmm. but then there will be some aspects of the job that sometimes leave you, uh, you know, wanting or, or desiring, uh, desiring more, desiring something interesting, something different. So what's the takeaway, Rich? In short, the takeaway is be very clear about what your work is mm -hmm. and do the work, whether you're doing the work in an, you know, you know, in the, in the institution where you work, but do the work wherever you are. Right. right? The work is always the work. The work is the work. Gotcha. Kofi, what say you? How have you sustained yourself, sir? I think, I think Rich hit the nail on the head. It's the alignment of work with your job. Uh, when, I, when I went to um, undergraduate school, I became interested in the education of black children because I was involved in tutorial programs in the larger community. Mm -hmm. And then as a junior, I started an independent African center school on campus. And that became my mission to educate young black children. When I went to graduate school, I started another independent African center school. And people, people would always say to me, people who knew me prior to going to graduate school, how are you going to stay, how are you going to keep your head on straight being at Stanford? You know, no black faculty in the college, in the school of education at the time. The only black student in the cohort that I went to, um, that I was in. And the way I did it was, I would take my classes, and as soon as the class was over, I'd head across the bridge, Palo Alto, to the independent school that I had started. Because I knew that I was going to Stanford, not to get a Stanford degree primarily, but to do better what I was trying to do with black children, if in fact that was possible, to do better what I was trying to do with black children. And so since that time, I've taught on every level from preschool to professional school. Um, and I've maintained a commitment to black students um, and, and a, and a and an inquisitiveness that drives me to try to figure out how to better educate black children. And in my own particular area, I do it in terms of educational administration, specifically what is the role of the principal or what is the role of the university or college president Understanding that there, there are roles, there are many roles. There's a role for the school counselor. There's a role for the vice president for student affairs. There's obviously the most significant role of the teacher. But you can't have a culturally responsive educational experience for students if you don't have culturally responsive leaders. And so they're all intertwined. And and that's that's what I that's that's what drives me. Just an understanding that we've got to do a better job with black children. So and if it helps other children, that's good. Mm -hmm. But my objective is to improve the circumstances for black children. Right. And I, I think knowing that makes me clear with, with who you are. And it helps me align myself to, you know, my values and my belief in black people. But it's easy to love and believe in black people and children in particular 
when we are black people and our children are black. So to, to love you is to love me. So I gotta love us. But how do we work with our colleagues who may not love us the way we do or love us in the right ways or even work with those black folks whose love is sometimes harmful and toxic? What can we do about that? I wanna start with you for that, Rich. Before, can I just say one thing? Sure. I just wanted to, I just really wanted to thank both of you um, for not just your comments, but honestly for your work and for all of your colleagues that um, make it possible for those of us who are coming behind you, right? Because it's because of you that we are now able to say things like, I'm an actively anti-racist scholar, right? And it's because of the work that you put in and it's because of the good work that you put in. So thank you. Uh, I really appreciate that, Shannon. That means a lot. And I would just say, like, uh, I owe so much to, to Kofi Lamonte, right? Like, I, you know, you're speaking to speaking about me in the same, uh, you know, context as Kofi. And I, I would just say, uh, I don't I don't know if that's I'll take it, but I don't think that's uh that's necessarily uh fair, you know, for Kofi, which I think goes back to your first question, Terry, like for Kofi and so many others who yeah. saw in me, you know, uh and poured into me and filled my cup when it needed to be filled, uh uh corrected me when I needed to be corrected sometimes, but but also, you know, uh celebrated me when I needed to be celebrated. And I think, I think sometimes, and that's one of the things I admire deeply about, uh, you know, Kofi and Kofi's generation of scholars. Like I, I, I observed, you know, Kofi was at Stanford when nobody else was at Stanford, like, you know, and I observed the way they get down for each other. Yeah. Right? You know, like, it's just a, it's a really, uh, encouraging model, mm-hmm. uh, the follow and I, you know, have certainly tried to pick up in some of the transferable, uh, some of the, the transferable features. You know, uh, I don't know if it's just uh, Tony Morrison or, uh, but it's this notion that, you know, love and like are kin, but they ain't necessarily synonymous, right? Mm. And uh, and so, you know, it's this idea here that. I don't know. I don't know if white people can can ever love us the way we love us, right? Mm. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if they can ever have the kind of love for uh, for our children that we have, right? Um, and it doesn't mean that they don't work towards it, right? It doesn't mean that they don't pursue it. But I think it's a very difficult thing to 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 get to because uh, it is this constant. Uh, you know, you're grappling with and working through all of these discourses, right? So the, the you know, it's, it's social media and it's it's whatever the latest stat is, right? And so I think it, I think it makes it, I think it can make it very difficult, right? I also think that I don't even know if if for for people who don't want to love our children, like. I don't even know if I'm in the business of, of trying to make them want to, right? Mm. But I, but I, but I do think, and I don't even know if I, you know, but I do, but I do want them to do their job, right? Do right by them. Do right by them, right? Like do so, so like if you don't like my child, 
But if you don't, or even if you don't love my child, right? I expect you to to teach them. I expect you to lead them. I expect you to to do whatever it is you have said that your your job and your and, and your your job you know happens to be. And so I think for me, the work is you have to build the tools to be able to uh, provide the kind of support that I'm going to call humane, that I'm going to call uh, emancipatory, that I'm going to call uh, a space of, of mental and psychological safety, right? Mm-hmm. Those, are, those are the things that, and, and, and if you're co-creating, you're co-constructing that kind of place for my children or for my child, uh, that's, that, that to me is going to have to be sufficient enough because I'm not in the business of trying to make you love someone who you've inherently grown to hate. Right. I don't know if I have enough time to do that, right? Right, or even the capacity. Or even um, the capacity, yeah. Yeah, I've been studying Harlem's mother, so this whole theory of mother work, because there's so much that I know that as a Black woman that I would do for not only my children, but your children too, because I see my children in their eyes. And so what I'm, what I'm developing is like these, these concepts, these tools to help teachers just model it, like use this, do that, like fake it until you make it. Because like, you're right, I don't think you're gonna jump from the bullet for my kid, but I know that I will and I'll do it for a kid that maybe looks like my kid. And to be fair, I don't know if I have that capacity for white people and their children. You know, I have to give myself a pause and say, to be honest, I mean, I, I like you and I care deeply about you and I'm willing to do my job to the best of my ability. And maybe that's all we can ask because love is such a radical and transformational word that I don't, if you're gonna be honest, not everybody can go. Not everybody gonna do what I'm gonna do, but I know I'm gonna do it and I know why I'm gonna do it because of who I am and, and what was poured into me. And even the roles of mentoring and even the bonds that we share when I knew I could call you to hop on this call. Like you all were sure best. I didn't even have to call around. You were my top three. Now, in another capacity, I don't know if I had three white folks I know I could call on to know that they would come, you know, in 72 hours and show up and work out the time and logistics. Like, that's love. And it's hard to fake that with people. And I'd rather they don't fake it with me. Let's keep it real, you know? And we can be pleasant and cordial. And, and, and maybe that's what schools have to be. And maybe we can go elsewhere for the love. Because I think we have to address anti-Blackness in schools. And we have to give... Um, future teachers and school leaders the tools to be as effective with both an E and an A, effective and affective as we possibly can, but know that we have to do work in our community to make sure that the kids are okay, that our children are growing and thriving. We have to do a little more because we have more on the line. Like, that's my baby, like, for real. So... What do you think, Kofi? And I'm gonna come to you, Shannon, because I know you're gonna take it home, but I wanna see what Kofi has to say about that. Kofi, is it too radical? Am I asking too much of folks or too little? I think I go back to what Rich said um, in terms of the fact that some people, it's not worth it to try to deal with with, them, with, with changing them. But let, let me go back even further to, to um, I guess the accolades that Rich was 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 sharing about me, um, 
I suspect y'all one or two people that stand on my shoulders, but my shoulders are not on the ground. They, I'm on somebody else's shoulders too. Colleagues and mentors um, and will mentors. Um, recall that Gloria and Joyce and I were in graduate school together. Can you imagine being in graduate school with Gloria and, and Joyce? <laughs> <laughs> my God. <laughs> but 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 this mentoring thing is really important and it ties into what you're talking about. When I was in undergraduate school, uh, one of my mentors was a brother named uh, Frank Shadowai. He had an African name, Omawali Babalawa, and he was a he was a he was a he was a pan he is a pan-Africanist. And I said to him one time, there's just too much for us to do to improve the circumstances of black people. What are we gonna do? And so he said, imagine that all of the problems are on this map right here. And you take the dart and you throw the dart at the map. And where it lands is where you struggle. And that's that's the position that I've that I've taken um, in my work as an undergraduate student. I, I could spend hours talking about the work that I did as an undergraduate school leader, but more, more recently, um, you know, I'm at Western Carolina University. I, I've been there eight years now. So it was the first time I've ever been any place more than five years. And um, I had never heard of Western Carolina University before I got there. But now I'm the senior person in ed leadership in terms of years of being there. Myself and one other colleague came in 2013. And we have formed the program. You know, I talked earlier about diversity and skill and knowledge. We selected people who, if they didn't have those skills already, we thought they were open to, 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 to possessing those qualities. And so we've been doing professional development. We don't call it that, but that's what we do. We, we selected a diverse faculty. We have, we have eight faculty members in our program. Three of them are African-American. Two of them are H, uh, LBGTQQ. I say QQ. Five Europeans and three Africans. And um, how do we do this? We do it by taking them to professional meetings and sending them or suggesting that they go to certain sessions. We do it by team teaching with them and letting them observe what we do. Uh, we do it in our summer, um, we have um, summer retreat where we spend a couple of days together and just talk about this whole issue of social justice. Social justice is embedded in our program from the time we advertise opportunities to be in our program until the time students finish their, their culminating project. Every aspect of the program has social justice embedded in it. And people who were not talking the language when they first became members of our faculty are now talking the language and walking the walk. Um, so I think that the program, my point is that the program is a model of what we want to try to do to move people in an appropriate direction. 
obviously we can't all do that because of the nature of our institutions. But um, when we re-engineered our program in 2013, we had a campus-wide committee involved in doing that redesign. And so the we don't have to ask the provost or something or ask the chancellor for something because they already know what we're trying to do. Um, so we don't have that much, we don't have that much of a challenge in that regard. But um, I, I guess the bottom line of my, my point is that we have to start small and then move beyond that. And, and there are other programs, certainly within North Carolina, that are borrowing from um, the kinds of things that we're doing um, at, at Western Carolina University. Great. Thank you. Shannon, what say you? Take us home. <laughs> I'm supposed to uh, of the 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 three of us. I'm supposed to take you home. Okay, T. Let's go. So, um, so I, I will say that I I really appreciate um, what uh, Dr. Milner started off with, right? Which was um, I don't know whether or not I want to spend the energy in trying to convert people to love children that they don't love, right? If um, if I'm around you and your energy ain't right, you can't cook me a meal. I'm good. I don't want it. So when it comes to my kids that I actually gave birth to, since it's us, like to your point, um, not only have do I not have an expectation that you are going to love my child or like my child, I low-key am going to be doing the background work to make sure that my kid comes out with what they need, regardless of whether or not you decide you're going to teach them. Because I'm going to make sure that you teach my child. I mean, I am in Harlem right now, and I'm in New York City. And in, what, 41, 51 minutes, I'm going to be getting on a school board meeting. And here um, in New York City, where I sit as one of the mayoral appointees, you would be, it would astonish you. Well, not you, Dr. Mamonte, because you clearly know what it is, right? But Dr. Milner, it would astonish you the number of people who get on these, in our meetings, because now everything's virtual, and talk about how they're for social justice and equity and demand inequity from the school board demand inequity from the school board, demand that we approve contracts for things that are rooted in not only a segregationist, but an actively white supremacist agenda of segregating kids based on zip code and resources. And so to, to the question, the only white folks that I have ever seen who I would argue do love black children are the ones who have black children and know their children are black. Right. Um, so them, I have seen. Right. I mean, I, I always go back, you know, see when uh, we joke about how someone says, oh, I have a black friend. And I say, well, I have a white aunt. Right. It was my white aunt who, when I was like eight years old, visiting another aunt, we got on an elevator. And I remember, you know, bright eyed, bright. What is that? Bright eyed and bushy tailed thinking to myself, oh, let me make space, <laughs> right? And this white man got on the elevator with us and stood on the polar opposite side, right? And when he got off, my auntie was like, oh, baby, you could have squeezed yourself into the elevator. He didn't want to be on here with Black people, right? But she understood that because she had been married to a Black man who was my uncle, and she had three Black kids. And so... 
I think that in addition to, I think, I think that it all, it goes, we'll end where we started, which is with reflection and with introspection, because unless you're willing to really be uncomfortable, right? You have to be comfortable being uncomfortable and do the introspective work required. And I'm not talking about reflexivity just for the, the act of saying that you're reflective. Right. I'm talking about authentic. We can't read Kimmy's book on how to be anti-racist and and then, and then, and so once you're, once you're done with it, then you're done. Yes. So no, no, you can't because it will require some active anti-racism, right? Like you have to one triangulate data. So yeah, you read his book. Have you read, like you're walking around talking about CRT. Have you read towards a critical race theory of education? Do you know that it came out of critical legal studies? Do you know who are the seminal uh, legal theorists of the theory? Do you understand its connection and application? Do you recognize that when you talk about CRT and education, you're talking about a theoretical construct, right? You're not, you're not going into your 12th grade uh, classroom talking about CRT to babies, Mm-hmm. Right. You're using the lens mm-hmm. to help guide the work. Sorry, y'all. And to re- really do the work that needs to be done to liberate children, because that's what this is all about in the end. So um, that's how I'll close, Dr. Watson. I think that if we can communicate to educators, if we can communicate and it starts, as Dr. Lamote said, if I am showing up in an ed leadership classroom. I have to first understand (laughs) where I sit with Dr. Milder, where you said you have to understand what you're pro. I am very clear that I am unapologetically Black. I am unapologetic about confronting anti-Blackness and that I am unapologetic in my commitment to the liberation of Black, Brown, Indigenous, Latinx, Asian, Pacific Islander, um, Native, uh, right? And if other people get the benefit, I'm down for that too, right? And I'm, I'm the reason why I'm unapologetic about it is because other people don't apologize. We are the only people who are asked to apologize for our loyalty to ourselves. That in and of itself is insanity. And so as the facilitator, right, because I don't view my uh, position or my my um, being the professor in the classroom as like pour out, pour in, like, let me get your cup. I'm supposed to be there to facilitate the discussion, to co-construct the knowledge, and for us to really develop what it is and help you do your own sense making around where you land as an educator. Right. And so if I don't understand that that's my role, how am I supposed to expect in seven weeks or 15 that you know what your role is in being actively anti-racist? So I think that the work in it, like the conversation is talking about how we do this. I think the work really starts with an administration's understanding that they have to do it so that spaces can create what Dr. Lamote is creating down at his institution. Um, And that goes beyond the endowed professorship, right? So Dr. Milner can do his work, right? The way he needs to do it with the resources to actively create. I'm sorry? He's endowed as well. No, I did I not say that? I'm sorry. No, no, no. I'm, just, I'm just joking with you. You can look at that, brother. Look at his background. Yeah, you know exactly. he's endowed. He, 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 <laughs> clearly he's endowed, right? 
Right. 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 But but institutions have to make the commitment and they have to understand that it's not about hiring a a up and coming or a black person and putting them in. And then that's it. Let's check this off of the compliance related box. It doesn't make sense for you to hire a Dr. Kofi Lamote or Dr. Richard Milner or Dr. Terry Ann Watson to make them a mouthpiece. Because number one, you're not going to be. See, I know you, right? right. Like, assist, like you're about this life and about the work. And I understand that you are, as well as my two esteemed, um, well, y'all not really my mentors, y'all really Terry's mentors, but I'm sort of, nah, we, we all friends. I we might all hit you up, nah, you know nah, what I mean? Good, but I, I will close by saying that it takes a commitment on behalf of the people who are supposed to be doing the work and the people who hire us to empower us to do the work. Right. Um, that is awesome, which is why I knew you'd take us home. So in answer to the question, I guess to wrap it up, what is the role of faculty and programs in addressing anti-Blackness and leader preparation? I think the first place to start is within ourselves, to understand what we're against and what we're for, who we are and what we believe in, and, and to make sure that, as Audrey Lord said, the personal becomes political, because it is, it is political. and It does matter who we are and what we say and what we do. And I think we can change the world. And I want to thank you for, for your time this afternoon and your efforts on not just behalf of Black people, but on behalf of all of us. I think the world needs this. I think the world, you know, we're in a bad place right now. But I think schools are the first and the best place to start if we are to be who we say we are. So um, I want to thank you once again for joining us. Is there anything you'd like to say for the good of the clause? I know I've, uh, for the cause rather, I know I've uh, extended my time. It's 517. I'm looking at the clock. Did I miss anything? Anything you want to add? Anything you want to Thank you for with? having us. Thank you. Yeah, I, I would just, uh, it was just say, what an honor to meet you, uh, Dr. Wake. And I mean, just so insightful. I look forward to, following your work and your career and, you know, special shout out to Dr. Watson for all you do. I see you out there. I know you're working on behalf of us and I just, I'm very, very grateful to you. And then of course to Kofi Lamote, uh, who is, you know, my brother, my friend and mentor, always honored to be uh, in your midst. So. Yes. Dr. Lamote, you have the final word. Back in 1973, a brother by the name of Haki Abuti. Some of you know his wife, Carol Lee. I, I call her Safisha Mahabuti. Haki wrote a book entitled From Plan to Planet, The Need for African Minds and Institutions. And in it, he said, continuing to send our children to other people for their education is like blowing their brains out. Thank you very much for this opportunity. That is it, mic drop. Thank you all. Be well and I hope to see you in the near future. Take good care. Thanks for listening. 
If you liked what you heard today, please share the podcast or tell a friend about it. Cafe UCEA is produced by the University Council for Educational Administration at Michigan State University. This episode was produced by Monica Baron-Jimenez, Terry Watson, and John Nash. See you next time.